0: they were excited and they were committed to the journey we were going on and you cannot be successful in retail on this kind of decision without the power and the magic of your people on the front line to do that for you Stand by. I'll be right there.
1: hello and welcome to Minter dialogue episode number 359 Today is Sunday the 9th of February 2020. My name is Minter and I'm your host for this podcast. Let me say how very grateful I am for you choosing to take the time out of your super busy day to listen to this episode. This week's interview is with Tarek Hassan. Tarek is CMO of Petco, a leading specialty retailer, serving pets and the people who own them for more than 50 years. Petco has about 1,500 locations throughout North America and employs approximately 26,000 partners. In this conversation with Tarek, we discuss the journey that Petco has undertaken in putting its mission and vision, healthier pets, happier people, better world, into the center of its business. Tarek takes us through the challenges and the difficult decisions they've made, how to make a mission come alive throughout a large organization, the place for personal and personality in Petco's branding, and a whole lot more. Tarek Hassan, it's great to have you on the show. I was lucky enough to listen to Alan Hart, who has one of the more extraordinary podcasts. And I, and I got to hear about you and, and, and through Alan's questioning, I really fell entranced with what you're up to. So in your own words, who are you?
0: Well, it was a great time speaking with Alan. I am Tarek Hassan, I'm the CMO of a wonderful company called Petco. Um, who gets up every day to focus on trying to enhance the quality of lives of pets and the parents who love them
1: chief marketing officer now if you look at certain doomsday books they have a short lifespan what made you take on the idea of chief marketing officer at petco how did you get into this type of business
0: well i'm not one for doomsday uh, uh scenarios i think uh Anytime we're put in roles of marketing to be chief marketing officers our job is to challenge and that comes with a certain amount of, uh, of risk and opportunity and Frankly, it was the opportunity that brought me into this role um, That and looking at sort of three big things as, as I saw it. I came in initially to consult uh, for a CEO who was a previous boss of mine. I had a previous relationship with and When I arrived I saw a tremendous opportunity in three areas a category it is undergoing a tremendous amount of change, but in that growth that is incredible. Um, a culture with people who literally get up every day and, and go after that pursuit of really making the world a better place with because of the animals and the pets that are in it. <clears throat> and going back to, to who I came to work for, um, which is always important. Not only the, the, the leader I report into and the CEO, but our leadership team and what I saw him starting to amass to pursue what was ultimately a really fantastic transformation that's been underway for nearly two years now.
1: When someone is looking for a job, you're, you know, it's amazing how you don't understand how important it is to have a good boss. At the same time, in, in today's crazy changing world, it seems that some areas, some industries are more prone to be successful. And I'm wondering what your spin would be, or at least the way you want to position it, as to why pets and animals are in such a growth position today.
0: So I think if you just start at a cultural level first, we talk a lot about the fact that our pets have really moved from the backyard when I was a kid to the family room to now affectionately really to the bedroom. Um, They have taken on... Full, full family status. Um, they're replacing my iPhone. Uh, sometimes they're replacing us <laughs> and sending us to the couch with the way they take over. But I think you know we have a deep relationship with with the pets in our lives, um, and they take on nothing short of a human relationship like we have with other family extended members. And and so with that comes a mindset shift of how you care for them, and and the attitudes that you bring to them. And if you actually look at the data from a From a demographic perspective and you look at millennials uh, for instance you know pets for them in many cases are either starting out as the starter child or, or the child as many of them choose you know not to necessarily start a family in a traditional way with that comes a very different emotional relationship and as a result of that the desire to take care of that pet uh in a very very different way which is why you'll hear us use the phrase we call our customers pet parents because they take on a, parent, a parental role, and with that comes deep emotional relationship. And, and, and as a result of that, a very different opportunity of how you engage with them and how you provide what they need.
1: I have no doubt about that, Tarek. In, in recent conversations in a speech I made, I was referring to the fact that in the Army, they say that 25% of the—in well, in one particular poll that was done—25% of the people in the Army— in the United States felt that they were lonely. And, and that's and that's not looking at the PTSD therapy with dog story. In the United Kingdom, most recently, they've appointed a minister of loneliness. I can't help but think that the role of, of pets is is forging into a vacuum of loneliness.
0: Yeah, if you think, you know, you consider whatever the sector is, whether it's the military, whether it's by age, you know senior citizens um, and then the digital the digital divide that we don't spend a lot of time talking about right with the benefits of digital also comes an increased isolation in many cases and you're right the relationship that you forge with these pets can provide a significant support value sometimes literally in the medical support realm that they play an incredibly emotional value but even in our day-to-day relationships and and we think that that emotional value is actually finally just starting to be understood, but we actually think we're just at the beginning of that and, and where that ultimately will go in terms of our relationships with pet and the impact it has on how it changes culture is just actually beginning. If you think about, for example, there are still a variety of places in which you cannot take your pets. And yet at the same time, increasingly you're seeing an increase in the number of places in which they are welcome. And, and so we think those kind of indicators are going to continue. And with that, cultures will actually shift increasingly
1: yeah you have certain offices that are pet friendly and i'm thinking of this loneliness element you walk down the park in london i'm blessed with having many many green parks and people tend to love their dogs here but you go out with your dog it also is an opportunity to say hello to a complete stranger oh you've got oh what is this is it a poodle is it a labrador blah, blah, blah. and and it gives you license to inter interact with a total stranger
0: They do bring us together. And I think increasingly that's always been, you know, part of the natural interrelationship between us. But I think you're also starting to see those things formalized into actual communities um, where you engaged with deliberate intent um, as well as the, you know, sort of infrequent, pleasant opportunity to, to bump into someone because of your your dog. But you're right. It breaks the ice and it creates an immediate moment to to have commonality. And engage in a conversation.
1: So the the thing I really wanted to dig into, of course, Tarek, is is what the transformation that you guys have gone through with your the CEO and how you've converted Petco. So give us give us the the story as to how and where Petco is now today. How you've gotten to this new mission led type of organization.
0: It is. It's a journey that we that we're on and excited to be on. Um, I, I think it starts with um the category that we're in. <clears throat> you know, to it, it state the obvious, when you're in the retail category, it's not a big surprise that you had need to figure out new ways to engage with your customers, create experiences, create connections that make you more valuable than simply the commodities that are on your shelf, right? Otherwise you are in just a, a race to the bottom. Uh, to scale around the Amazons, where the Amazons and the WalMarts can do with their algorithm and their spending, and that's true of all retail. I think that's true of all retail in general, right? As we go through this through this shift, now what I will tell you is, I think we've emerged from what was the dialogue around sort of the retail apocalypse, and we've now started to see that retail does play a role, um, and we are waking up to what that role is in terms of the value it provides for our customers. That's that's sort of the the, the backdrop, if you will, as you said, to all retail. For us specifically. We had a new leader that came in and, and really saw an opportunity to think about how do we differentiate ourselves in the industry. Uh, at one level, two looked at the tremendous amount of elements we had in place that could allow us to create that experience. So we're not just simply a provider of merchandise. We have services, we have grooming services, vet services, and training services. And so that starts to allow you when you start to piece those things together, as opposed to work with them as disparate vertical businesses. To create a real opportunity to connect with your customer in a very different way. And so that was the beginning point of recognizing, boy, if we really surround that pet and really start to think about what they need in a holistic way and then engage with that parent to help them make this a lot easier, um, that could be a pretty powerful place to go. And and it wasn't frankly happening. And it's something the algorithm can't do because the human interaction there is critical, whether it's the knowledge base, the trust and the authority of the people you engage with around critical decisions around, you know, whether they're medical decisions or training decisions, um, as well as sort of create those solution based like we're seeing in so many categories now, can I make this seamless and easy for you and convenient, right? That was easy to sort of see the opportunity. The question became, how do you then go about doing it? And for us, we're fortunate. This wasn't about creating a new purpose. This was about going back to what was already at the heart of this company, all the way back to its founder. Which is the founding purpose around creating a business that was in the business for making life better for pets This company was started initially in the veterinary and healthcare space and supporting vets do that And we went back to understanding that about who we were as a brand and as a company and then You just had to look out the window and spend time in our stores 1500 locations with partners who are so dedicated to the care of these animals that we knew we had the really the formula already in our in our DNA and existing in the field. The question is, how do you bring that together? How do you ignite it and start to really take a different place in the marketplace to do that?
1: So before you had a very strong relationship with vets, in this retooling and and returning back to your roots, how have you approached the relationship with vets differently? Because going back in and saying, well, we're coming back to our roots, you know, yada, 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 how do, you, right. how do you re-engage with them? Because in the interim, they've been approached by lots of competitors and, and it's presumably quite a crowded and clouded marketplace. How did you re-engage with the vets and how important are they actually in your mix?
0: We started actually thinking about the holistic conversation of who we were going to be as a company first, because simply to go and have a conversation with the veterinarian community w- without putting up or shutting up kind of was critical right so we started with nutrition first the most important place to sort of engage with the animal and certainly a place that vets take significant consideration with with their with their patients so last year we removed all artificials and preservatives from our from our food lines uh, it was about a 100 million dollar removal of our from our portfolio and we did it based on a very simple decision one that determined if we thought what was right for the pet it was right for the business Um, And if you, again, if you look at what's going on in the human food category and the things that we've done to remove the implications of those same kind of ingredients in our foods every day, then we should be thinking about that with our pets. So that's the first signal you send to the community that we're a business that's prepared to put our business at risk to do what's right for, for pets. That was sort of the first piece of it. The second thing we did was we listened and we got smart and we started to talk to that community. Um, and understand what you know, how they think about things. And by the way, a number of our vendors we work with have very close relationships with vets. So this isn't a new conversation, it's just putting it through a different lens and how we apply it to what we do in our business. Sure. Right? The next thing we did is we committed to this industry. Um, our, the, one of the more significant components of our transformation includes uh, the expansion of vets inside of our stores. Um, and we will do the largest build out of, of vets in store um, over the next three years. That, that and, largest one in North America. In doing that, we had a different approach to how we thought about doing it. We actually went into regions and we worked with regional vets, um, and and developed relationships for them to to come into our stores and and do that for us. It wasn't simply rent a space in our stores and and open up a vet. It was literally uh, a joint venture relationship where we're engaged in the partnership with them. And then we're opening our own as well. We're in the vet community. We're recruiting in the vet community, and we are now part of that veterinarian community. So we're part- legitimately participating. And then the last piece we did was we created a body to help us objectively keep an eye on what we're doing for ourselves, for our business, and for our pets. Uh, we created a health and wellness council that is made up with a formidable group of vets, behavioralists, and nutritionists. They're an objective party. They do not sit inside the company. They are a, a partner group that sits outside of us that we check ourselves against, that engages in our our practices that we can go to for advice that we can check different information from the from the vet community um, and as part of that sort of helping us start to really as i say walk the walk
1: wow so a lot of things in there when you when you make a decision to cut 100 million dollars since i ran a large business i i remember that that also came with well you better make it up elsewhere
0: you can imagine it was an easy decision to make right <laughs> Uh, you are absolutely right, um, and in actual fact, it was a journey to figure out what we would do because the initial number that we, we came out with was roughly around 50 million. But then when we started again to, to talk to these partners and have nutritionists and other folks weigh in, uh, we realized we hadn't gone far enough. And so when the list was completed as to what we thought was the appropriate assortment to leave, um, the question became exactly that. Here's the, here's the great opportunity that comes out of challenging yourself sometimes, what we discovered was by making those decisions, yes, there was some challenges and stress with existing partners who might have had some of those products, but we actually gained access to new partners that previously would not have come into our channel.
1: Because of your
0: because of the removal. Um, the most significant one I'll mention is a, a wonderful brand called Champion. have uh, two fantastic uh, lines that are now national within Petco. Um, and... They told us point blank. The conversation was a non-starter up until the point of us removing those products because we were now aligning with the values of what they had created their, their brand on. That brand is the most premium product line in, in dry food. And so it created a new opportunity to do it. It also created new opportunities with, with some of our partners. Um, so removal of one cat food, it's a, the, the highest selling in our in our, cate- in our store and in the category. But we worked with that same partner and they and they came out with an innovation around a natural version of theirs that we were then able to replace inside the store. And so it was a it was a, a movement of understanding, listening and then creating opportunity for both new and reinvention of what was pre-existing. And I'm happy to say at the end of the year, I can actually now tell you we made that goal. We, we, we met our requirement to 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 put that revenue back in.
1: I had a previous conversation on my podcast with the CMO of CVS who took away cigarettes from their mold and their distribution. And yeah, that was a big old element of their retail, but it, it also contributed to a real shift in business. My question is, in this shift, did you look at the the way it impacted employee satisfaction and retention uh, in Petco?
0: Yeah, let me mention two things. The CVS example is a fantastic one because it's an interesting analog thing we're doing. Like CVS, taking a decision to do something like that can appear really daring if it's just a tactic. Mm -hmm. For us, this was a first step to a larger journey we knew we were going to go on and we had a roadmap to what that looked like. And a very significant component to the decision around this was as much of an internal decision as it was actually an external decision. To come back to your question around our employee base, we won tremendous equity in the marketplace with customers around this decision. I will tell you, we won invaluable equity with our partners in our 1,500 locations who were thrilled about the decision because, as I mentioned to you, many of these folks would rather spend their day working with animals than quite often people and so to see that kind of authority being reflected in a commitment to our mission was just invaluable to them and the reason we were successful in closing that gap on the on the on the financial risk of making a decision like that is because we empowered them with the decision we were making but they were excited and they were committed to the journey we were going on and you cannot be successful in retail on this kind of decision without the power and the magic of your people on the front line to do that for you. And they are, in fact, the ones that delivered that for us.
1: So you must have involved them in the risk as well, because you're like, hey, you guys, this is what we're doing. we got $100 million on the line. I need you.
0: Um, that would be the high-level version of it, but our store operation leader was right with us and had a very systematic plan as to how we would talk about it, why we made the decision we made, help customers understand and navigate it. And by the way, the decision to do this started with a really simple insight into our customer. 90 plus percent of customers want to believe they're feeding their pet the right thing. Less than half actually know if they are. So we knew there was already some confusion in it. This actually, taking this decision actually allowed us to create a formal conversation to help those customers come back and revisit that discussion whether it was because the food they were using had left and they now needed a new solution or whether it was a chance to actually have a dialogue with them to reevaluate what they were currently using and it's fascinating because in our industry they talk a lot about how difficult it is to have pets change their food
2: hmm.
0: we um we set a 70% retention rate to try and keep those customers for egg for the for the brands that were exiting we, um, we closed the year nearly 90%. <clears throat> and that only, again, happens because you're able to have a dialogue to help that customer understand change actually creates opportunity to be an even better parent. And so we were prepared to have that story. Our folks were armed with the information they needed, but they were also provided with a really clear understanding of what the portfolio of our foods were, the roles that they played, and how to navigate a customer into the right solution for them. All then wrapped up with a commitment and a guarantee to our customer. If you take this home and it doesn't work out, bring it back. We'll find another solution for you. So we helped them enter the risk. We resolved the understanding of what to do. And then we made it risk free for them. So if it didn't work out, we had their back.
1: Norm DeGreve, who's, who's the CMO of, of CVS, talked about this being a brave decision. But it sounds like from what you're saying, Tarek, that it was retroactively a, a dumb, I mean, an easy, an easy decision to make as in duh
0: sometimes the most brave decisions we make are quite often the most easiest ones sitting in front of us making the decision quite often isn't the hard part figuring Mm -hmm. out how you're going to execute it and come out the other end recognizing that it was a smart thing to do but you did dumb Mm -hmm. and failed as opposed to a really smart thing to do and you did it really smart and you protected where you needed to go
1: and and from having listened to you, Tarek, especially yes. uh, and and on the, your CEO presumably also, the authenticity with which you approached this transformation. Y- you can't be snuffed out. You know, mm. <laughs> I, oh, I, I hear a sniff coming out, like a dog sniffing you out. The, <laughs> the issue is <laughs> transformation. You've got to bring them on board. What lessons did you learn? in in trying to corral so many people into this change, because I mean, so many companies are now thinking missions important. In France, it's actually now a law, you as a publicly traded company have to inscribe some kind of mission. How do you go from yada 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 to reality? What what kind of lessons did you take away from your and your ongoing, of course, journey?
0: Again, I think for us, we knew this first step was linked to a a bigger vision to really move to a place where we had a a really surround-the-pet kind of relationship with with our parent. And so we knew the roadmap we were moving to. There was no confusion at the leadership level. And frankly, even before this decision, there was no confusion around the company as the new CEO let let his corporate vision be heard. Um, And when you announce what that vision is, In many ways, it was like the leadership was catching up with our partners because they already believed in that vision. So we weren't asking them to turn right. We were actually in many ways saying, you know, you've been going due north all this time. We're actually going to come and join you on that and we're going to open it to make it even easier and we're going to empower you to allow that to be the thing that we really stand for. So commitment was a relatively easy thing to get from the organization. The challenge is organizing it and doing it in a way that they can, because these folks have a lot of things to do throughout the day, really helping them understand how they could navigate it and engage with their customers. Um, it also meant us thinking through how we introduced this to the marketplace and help them understand what we were doing, why we were doing it, why we believed in it. And as you can imagine, you know, you're know, you going to have some folks that think, well, I'm, I've been feeding this other food. It's gone. Why is it gone? You know, that can either play out as a question or that can play out as frustration. Um, I think it's a testament to our organization to, sh- to show the results and see how well things have in fact gone. Uh, just how well we were prepared and how, how well we had provided them the tools that they needed and how well they executed.
1: In looking for the lessons learned and the best practices and, and how people who aren't in the pet business who are listening to this, uh, typically I'm, I, I want them to think about those type of things. But at the same time, your comment makes me think, how on earth does a company end up being going do right instead of due north. So that you, you, are, you find yourself over here, the rest of your team as you were describing it and partners, they were already, of course, they were doing that. And, and you guys were sort of the anchor pulling us away, or, you know, you know, dragging from where we should be going. What, what, do you have any idea why and how you all ended up in that do right kind of position or and, and how can we avoid that as we go forward?
0: Listen, I can't can't speak to the to the previous um, leadership that that has taken organizations, you know, and and all organizations move through a variety of pathways on their journey. There's very few that have, you know, held a straight line. Oh, God, I
1: mean, and I I worked in a business where (laughs) I think we were going due south as opposed to due north.
0: There's some pretty universal things that quite often have you think that you're on the right path. Quite often, profitability and and growth is one of them. Mm. And so if you look at this industry, uh, going back a number of years before true, true digital implication had taken place, the category was on growth. You were seeing uh, pretty significant store uh, growth, and you were seeing revenue growth follow with that. And so all of the traditional indicators that tell a leader that they're doing the right things were in place. Um, And they certainly weren't quite, you know, I don't want to make it sound like the right turn was countered to taking care of pets and doing the right thing. Sure. But the emphasis of what you made your decisions on were, were, were a different optic. Number one, number two, we'd made a fundamental decision as a leadership to do one other significant thing as a company. And that was to turn our leadership model on its head. And 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 to stop talking about being a top down organization that gets an organization to follow you and to truly embrace that we are actually working in service of our partners. And so we flipped it on our head and we, we we talk about the fact that as a leadership, we're not confused. We work for you. We work for you as partners and we work for you as, as pet parents. And it's our responsibility to understand what's going on for you to be successful. And it sounds like a small thing and it sounds like it might be sort of philosophical, but it has been absolutely magical for this leadership and what we're seeing in return from our partners and not just the way... We talk about it, but the way we measure it and understand how they, how they are. We weren't even measuring some of those things before, and now we are. with a clear line of sight as to, you know, what that engagement is with our employees, which provides you really great data to understand where you need to continue to help them, where maybe they've taken the message the wrong way, and how you continue to engage them in a positive fashion.
1: Well, let me just say, Tarek, I do not believe for a, a millisecond that that was a small Idea And the thing that links my prior question to this situation, in my opinion, is managing the ego. In, in my prior company, L'Oreal, I, I would see, and I, I, I think I, I continue to see in so many organizations, the preponderant position of ego in senior management, which leads you astray. In in combination with having, you know, let's say sales and profitability be your north, which is not a mission. It's the consequence of a good mission. You've clearly managed well. the way I hear you, Tarek, is that's that sort of is you. But if, you're not, if your CEO isn't prepared to take off the ego hat and say, I'm prepared to listen to my partners and, and to these riffraff, smaller people who are managing the floor, quote unquote riffraff. Right? How important do you believe that statement is in, in creating this new type of environment?
0: Um, I not, not only believe it's important. I have a wall across the way in our office that will show you the commitment to that, which has at this point more than uh, 50 photos of the, the stores that we as a collective leadership, but more specifically our CEO um, has been in, in the in the first 18 months where he could put a pin in all 50 States at this point. Hmm. He's been to every state. Um, I've lost track of the number of stores we've been in. I've lost track of the number of store visits I've done. Um, that is not one you talk about, that is one you get up and you go do. Um, because when you're on the floor, when you're spending time with partners, um, and you're spending time with customers in our aisles, um, there is no greater reality. And so, you have to reflect it in the way you not only ask your organization, but the way you behave within your organization. And I'm, I'm very proud to work for a leader who very clearly reflects that. Um, well, at
1: the same time, you know, I, I worked at Allen, and, and we cosmetics company we we were very cosmetic in our approach so even when we're going out into the field we would spend time curing the field before the visitor came in other words the ceo and 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 you come in there and you have all the good intentions but i know in in the next month i've got this big launch and and i've got these priorities and this the issue of the quarterly performance and somehow it it contaminates my ability to listen to the person in the field so how do you manage to keep that listening so have such great integrity uh, let's say some sort of honesty i mean and of course no one's perfect but how, how do you manage that because in the end of the day you do have you know pressures and yeah and you have egos and managing those to get to that more honest form of listening
0: well, you said it first and certainly no one's perfect as a journey and we try to do great. We're, we're still on the journey of trying to get better and better. <clears throat> but part of it is a routine, right? Like anything else, when you establish routine, it can also impact behavior. That is a weekly routine for us. Hmm. Um, we sit down, the week starts with a conversation with the folks that run the regions. Um, and we're checking in, we're hearing uh, what the issues are. <clears throat> we are hyper responsive in terms of understanding what our store operation leader needs and what our head of e needs in terms of understanding the place where Our customers meet us and the transactional points that we engage with them. Um, And so that becomes part of routine. Um, I also think that the category lends itself in a way that the value of what we're doing and the risk of not doing it well has some higher emotional risk than other categories. When we don't do things right operationally in our stores, animals can hurt. They hurt. Right? There can be loss um, and that's a little different than inanimate objects and you know a shipment with damage I think there's just implication around when you're working with the emotional relationship that parents have with these pets and the lives that are involved with it It creates a different kind of responsibility and and I cherish that I think it's one of the things that I've enjoyed about joining this company is when we talk about purpose we can see and touch and feel and hear the stories of that purpose. And we have customers and partners that love sharing that with us. You know, there's no one that I don't talk to in this category that when I tell them what I do, you know, if they have a pet, it, you know, it's a matter of seconds and the phone is out and I'm seeing the equivalent of baby pictures, right? So I think that I think there, is, there is something about not only being patient-led, but knowing it, experiencing it. And it's in our own hallways here. Any given day in our offices, there's two to 300, you know, cats and dogs floating around the building and it becomes part of, of your ethos. And I think that actually is, is incredibly powerful.
1: Well, coming from you, it sounds so true, Tarek, but in the end of the day, you can look at pharmaceutical companies and they're normally there to help heal people. So the people, and you can look at hospitals, how they are run and and you see the drawn faces of the nurses and the attendants and, and the insurance company, That's just a number crunching, hellacious business that it used to be about allowing people to be adventurous. We, we somehow, not, not to take away from the world of pets because I am just a huge you know, lover of, of all pets. We, we, every industry has some kind of purpose Yours is obvious for me, obvious for many, but somehow we, we get distracted and, and we lose the plot because of this numbers and the performance thing. And And it's just amazing how we turn right when we should be going north.
0: You, I think you just answered your own question in some ways because quite often when you look at companies that start to falter, it's very seldom it's because they faltered, but remaining on their purpose. Occasionally, When the purpose actually needs to shift, and you don't, but more often than not, it's because you wandered from the purpose. And so, the hardest thing, the easy thing to do is to create a purpose. The hardest thing to do is actually manage your business by that purpose, and again, make the tough decisions that come with that. And so, whether it's the you know the challenge of a CVS looking at the tremendous dollar loss of supporting a negative habit like smoking, or whether it's us making the decision. To take what is the equivalent of a large number and remove and change what our our food category in such a significant way, and, and you're going to see us make continued changes in similar spaces uh, very shortly. Um, and that's not to say those decisions are hard, aren't hard? They're very they're very difficult. Sure, but the, we often come down to at the end of the day, are we committed to that purpose or not, guys? Because at some point, the other thing is particularly in this digitally social connected world. Once you declare a purpose, if you wander from it or you contradict it, you know the world lets you know very quickly
1: about transparency last area attack that I wanted to look into was I would call it the specialty area. We talked about the vets before you you there are also different areas that can be in the form of health care and let 's say uh, ill dogs and I was just wondering to what extent as opposed to the sort of the gen- general good food, your business is also uh, affected by and interested in dealing with the more marginal side of, of pet food. So this would be a dog with cancer uh, or, or conditions, dogs that are for blind people or dogs that are helping P- PTSD. I was wondering what, what that constitutes in Petco's world.
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of the things we love about what we're doing is we talk about our mission to be getting up and and really making the lives of pets, parents, and our partners better every day. This is an area that you're bringing up that we have tremendous passion towards and and we actually engage in a couple of different ways. Um, Again, a number of the vendors we work with, we partner with behind the scenes and we do a tremendous amount of work with them and efforts they make. So if you look at a brand like Hill's, Um, which has tremendous science and engagement in the areas of uh, canine cancer and other areas, you get involved as a result of that business relationship. But more directly, um, it's what the Petco Foundation is about for us. Um, So we have a foundation that does tremendous work, not only uh, rescuing and saving the lives of displaced pets, um, finding homes for them by working with shelters and, and granting dollars to community organizations and shelters to find those pets better homes, um, we're increasingly engaging in new opportunities around things like, uh, you know, canine research and, in fact, the direct link between canine research of cancer and human uh, oh. solutions for cancer. Um, it's part of the reason you're hearing us talk increasingly about becoming a health and wellness company um, and not simply a retailer. Um, and I and I don't say that lightly. We believe that our this mission puts us in a place where we can engage on the betterment of both human and uh, pet betterment. And in doing so, yes, of course, we will connect with you and have moments of retail relationship. But that relationship and responsibility extends well beyond the aisle and has to, to take on causes like you're talking about, where um, equally, uh, the foundation has, has funded a number of efforts uh, in the military community, uh, working with, you know, whether it's service dog training and putting service dogs in place of those who've served us and, and, and need that additional emotional care and it can provide by having a, a pet as a partner. We're there. We're engaged in those issues and, you know, we're, we're granting over $30 million a year in doing that, not only to, I say, not only to save the lives of animals but also, frankly, celebrate the power that comes from the relationship those animals go on to serve, whether it's in a home or whether it's at the benefit of and service.
1: As you know, I've been involved with the military with my film and, and I've done... Projections of my film with with an entire room full of PTSD veterans. So I've been trying to bring my little my little piece to that. That it, it strikes me that <laughs> uh, maybe this is a European perspective, but Americans aren't known for eating well. And I'm wondering if there isn't a way to educate Americans to eat better through encouraging the education of having dogs eat better. I mean. I don't mean, let's say, humans should eat dog food, but it just feels like that also could be a, an interesting thing. What do you think?
0: Well, I will tell you, increasingly with the innovation that's going on and the quality of dog food, um, dogs are eating human quality food, and in many cases, as you said, uh, quite often eating eating as well as we should. Um, there, actually, ironically, there is a direct relationship between those we. Anecdotally, we've seen some th- some data around those who are overweight and their pet being overweight, and I think there is opportunity to understand what the benefit of movement is um, in the relationship with your pet and how it can improve on that. Um, you know, as a direct relationship to food, et cetera. You, you know, the implications of of weight, health, and things like that. Have so many different dynamics to it. It's complex. And I think. I think. But I, what I will tell you is, as an organization, we've taken this notion of health and wellness very seriously, not only in terms of what we project externally and relates to what we do uh, for our for supportive pets, but as an organization, um, we are increasingly looking at what is the implication for our employee base. Hmm. If we're going to be an organization that talks about the implication of health and wellness, how do we also start to think about those things for our own employees? And we're starting a number of program developments that are going to have direct linkages around ensuring that the attitude we have about how healthy our pets should be is starting to really show up and how how well our employee base should also be.
1: Oh, dig it, Tarek. And, you know, that's another reason why I wanted to reach out to you because, as you know, you and I share that idea that we must start from within yeah. within the employee first kind of community. Huge. Tarek, I, and I just was thinking of a person I saw down the street and he was walking with his bulldog and I said, well, they look very similar. Somehow <laughs> there's always that sort of symbiotic relationship with your pet, and most of the time we've been talking about dogs, but of course it also goes with cats. Tarek.:
0: well, it's my pup's a lot cuter than me, but: uh... <laughs>
1: So beautiful.: All right, Tarek, so thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people follow you or get in touch with you, should you think, and certainly learn more about PetCo and its mission that it's on?
0: Well, I would invite anybody to be following us on, on the traditional social channels where, you know, Petco on Twitter and, and, on, and LinkedIn and, and Instagram. Um, we're actively involved in the social sphere and any questions that a customer would whatever have or someone following Petco, uh, feel free to reach out to us through our, our website and connect with us. Uh, we love getting feedback. We love hearing the stories and we're, we're very involved with our community. What and I really appreciate the opportunity to mention it. Thank you.
1: Yay. Thanks a lot, Tarek. Pleasure.
2: Wrong with challenge, I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free, trusting my reason. Mama